we can never be gods after all. But we can become something less than human with frightening ease. N.K. Jemison. Bending Not Breaking, the Dragon Prince edition. Book Two, Episode Seven, Fire and Fury. Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. This is your host, Ben Pruitt, and I am so excited because we just had two episodes with Jason Simpson, and how lucky are we to have been given such an opportunity? I'm just, I'm really in awe because I'm not sure that I would ever have been able to learn from him or any of our other guests without listeners like you all for making it happen. So thank you for supporting the show, for telling your friends about us, for sharing it on social media, reviewing it on all the various platforms. And for those of you who do so, thank you for supporting us financially on Patreon. Like you, you make all the work behind the scenes worth it. So thank you so much for, for being a part of this project. I want to go ahead and dive into the episode though. So today we're talking about heroism and the while today's episode is all about heroism i think it's important to unpack that term a bit since there's really just so much baggage wrapped up in what heroism means in all of the different various connotations it has and if if you search for a definition you'll notice that there's there's a lot of differences among the various resources and, and furthermore, there are a lot of articles and stories, and there's just so many different things that claim to know that this is what heroism is. And one article I, f- I found really compelling referenced the banality of evil. And I think I want to start there in order to kind of put some context around heroism. And the banality of evil is just, to put it simply, the ease with which humanity, us, uh, the way that we can fall into acts of evil. And among the various examples cited in this article was just the infamous uh, Stanford prison experiment from the 60s. And just to give you a brief recap, I remember learning about this in my psychology class in high school. (laughs) But essentially it was 24 uh, young men who responded to a newspaper ad that had called for participants to be a part of a study, and they were randomly assigned roles as either prisoners or guards in this simulated jail uh, at Stanford University's psychology department. So the, the prisoners were, it was very realistic. They were arrested at their homes by real police officers. They were booked. They were brought to the jail. Everything from the deliberately humiliating prison uniforms to the cell numbers on the lab doors. Uh, There were mandatory strip searches. There were delousing. Everything was designed to replicate the depersonalization experience of being in a real prison, which speaks to the problems of, you know, prison and, you know, cops. But let's 
pause on that conversation. Anyway, the men who were assigned to be guards were given khaki uniforms, mirrored glasses, and they were also given billy clubs. And the, the idea was to study the psychology of imprisonment, to see what happens when you put, you know, theoretically good people in a dehumanizing place. And here's the deal. Within a matter of hours, what had been intended as a controlled experiment in human behavior really just became very disturbing. Um, Essentially, there was a prison rebellion on the second day of the experiment. Guards began to use increasingly degrading forms of punishment and the prisoners became more and more passive, and each group rapidly took on these behaviors associated with their, their role, their label, and, and not because of any particular internal predisposition or, or from instructions from the experimenters, but rather because the situation itself so powerfully called for the two groups to assume those identities that they, that they took on. And so... Honestly, it was really problematic. It was supposed to last two weeks, but it was ended abruptly after six days because there was so much inhumane treatment. So eventually an outside um, outside voice reminded them and stepped in uh, and reminded them of their ethical responsibilities. And so I, I, I want to lift that up just because this is just one example of how susceptible humanity is to falling into really just unthinkable, malicious acts. And I, I think it's important to realize and note that these there, was, there were some guards who were not committing abuse. And the problem with that is not committing abuse in this situation, I think, is not enough. There was, there was no speaking up on the prisoner's behalf. And this is perhaps the nature of evil, or perhaps an aspect of it then the experience of seeing abuse seeing some wrongdoing and not confronting it or condemning it and so it, it my my one of the one-liners i learned from my supervisor a while ago was if we do not condemn it we condone it and so there was no confrontation there was no approach from these quote good guards that uh, could have condemned this behavior and held some accountability. Instead, it just kind of was left to continue. And so I wonder if then we could consider heroism the act of condemning evil, right? Speaking up and confronting problematic behavior, which, like, in a way, makes heroism as banal as evil, Right? If, if we all have the capacity for heroism, just as we have this capacity for evil. And, you know, it seems across the data from all the various resources I checked out, in, including one of the main sources of the Heroic Imagination Project, which is an um, organization that is researching heroism in everyday activity and people. And heroism theoretically includes four main aspects. A... The first is a quest, which is essentially the the goal of any sort of thing, which is the preservation of an ideal or the preservation of life, for example. Um, an anticipated sacrifice or risk is the second component. So 
any sort of sacrifice or risk, whether that be physical or social or like or mental, any sort of sacrifice or risk that is anticipated and known going into it, it has the capacity for active or passive acts, which means it can be a, a, something that you do, uh, like, you, like you run into battle, if you will, is a pretty common connotation of heroism, but also it can be not an, an action, but it can be passive as well. And then finally, the, the fourth component is that it can be a one-time deal or it can persist over time. And I think with all of these things in mind, I'm really interested to kind of parse out where is heroism? Where do these four components pop up? Uh, and how do we see the, quote, banality of heroism in this episode? What are these small acts of heroism that we can parse out and identify and label that way. So I hope you'll uh, keep on joining me as we dive into the main bulk of the episode. But, but before we do that, it is important that we play by the rules, and uh, I'm going to be heroic here, and at great personal sacrifice, I am going to uh, commit to my quest of (laughs) preserving the intention of the podcast uh, by doing a 30-second recap and this is a you know an active act and it is a one-time deal you know every episode but it is what it is so the recap here we go on my mark get set here i go okay so callum is playing with the magic cube and then he chats with rayla and then they discuss the moonstone path one does not simply walk into zadia and then soren's on a power trip and then it turns out this dragon is flying around the town and he takes command to fight it even though it's not attacking and then the dragon proceeds to burn down the town and then claudia uses dark magic to shoot the dragon and then the dragon finds the downed dragon and then ezrin connects with it and viren and opeli square off about his treason and then soren and claude's chain dragon down and the dragon return to save it and then callum does dark magic to unleash the dragon and soren fights it and then snack crackle pop Soren can't move, Viren completes dagger ritual with Erevos, and then Caterpillar up the arm, yuck, deep voice. <gasps> okay. Yikes. That was potentially a callous joke of snap, crackle, pop, but yikes. Um, forgive me. Uh, here we are talking about some pretty intense stuff that happens in this episode. So here we go. Let's dive in. This is our top five moments of heroism. Uh, or lack of, but top five moments to talk about regarding heroism. And so I'm curious if some of these were the same ones that you thought of after hearing the the lens. So the first one, I want to just, you know, go to the, the, the main thing that I thought of when I was thinking about choosing a lens here, which is this slaying the dragon narrative that Soren is kind of um, a part of here. And... I remember growing up with these these old stories of these heroes and knights who, in fantasy stories, slew dragons to demonstrate their heroism. And if they slew the dragon, they got to marry the princess and, you know, all the patriarchal narratives there. And so I, I'm curious about this moment, about this whole episode here, because Soren... Uh, the, the townspeople have said this dragon has been around for three days, it hasn't attacked... And Soren comes in and says, hey, I'm a member of the Crown Guard. We're going to take this dragon down. Uh, And they're like, but it hasn't attacked us. (laughs) And Soren says, it doesn't matter. It's the enemy. And I'm curious if we put this in the context of heroism, then what is the quest here for Soren? What is the quest? And like, what is he 
trying to protect? Is it that he's trying to protect the town or is that he sees the glory of slaying this dragon? Because, you know, Claudia later in the episode does talk about how it's one of Soren's life goals to slay a dragon. So I'm, I'm curious if that narrative of this is what it means to be a hero for, for a knight, for someone in Soren's position. And I, I wonder how much of a factor that played in him, you know, feeling the need to take down this dragon. Because, like, is this a moment of heroism? Like, what's what's this quest? What's the the goal here, right? I, I don't... I don't know what it is. Is it... Because I, I guess if I were to parse out what it could be and assume the best here, it's that he, he believes he's doing the town a favor by slaying the dragon, and, and I don't think he... Maybe it's that he's not weighing the, the risks, or he didn't realize the, the risk, or maybe he overestimated his ability to take down the dragon. I'm... I mean, there's a lot of factors. It could be all of those things, you know? But I just find it really interesting to dissect this moment where Soren has made this decision and it has dire consequences. So I'm, I'm just I'm just interested in parsing that out. Um, I'm curious what you all think. Like, is this an act of heroism? And if so, uh, can you help me understand why you think so? And I'd love to hear about it. You can send us a voicemail at thearcofe at gmail.com. And that's arc as in A-R-K. The Arc of E. So that leads me to my second point, which is very connected to that. But it's this, when Soren releases Corvus, uh, what I see there is a real, true act of heroism that I am, I label that as an act of heroism. Because... Soren demonstrates his willingness to acknowledge his mistakes. And, it's, like, for real, it's a big mistake, and it has, again, really rough consequences. <laughs> but his capacity to admit his mistake here is so important. And furthermore, he humbles himself and says, Claudia, I, I think I really messed up here. And Claudia helps him, right? And then <laughs> in this moment where literally everything is on fire, Claudia chooses to take him down a peg and I think that like the way that she says well you have to say this and I'll save your butt and he does he says it and that kind of like humbling himself to say I messed up let me actually live into like I will I'll say what you want me to say my pride doesn't matter right now I think that's a skill because there are a lot of people who would have doubled down and become even more uh, toxically masculine. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, that, that could be the term. There could also be a lot of other things that this potentially would fall into, but it, there's just so much there when, when he releases Corvus, says, hey, you have the capacity to protect these people. I have the capacity to let you go. And then he does. And I, I think that is really illustrative of, of Soren's true nature and I think that's a, a really important and integral piece so I just I wanted to lift that up as something to think about okay my my next one is that uh, you know Callum and Rayla get into this conversation around like someone needing to take a stand when no one else will in order to 
break the cycle of violence. And like it was a little convoluted, like Rayla quoting Callum, quoting Rayla. It's like there's a lot of like little little quotes there, but this idea that Rayla feels the need, like she goes in to save this dragon and she says, "We'll live or die. This dragon's going home." And I think, to, in my mind, that by definition kind of fits this concept of heroism, right? She has this quest, which is to preserve the life of this dragon. She understands that she might die (laughs) in this sacrifice, right? It is an, an active act that she is taking on. And it's a, this is a, something that can happen in this one time, but it's a, seems to be a recurring theme for Rayla. So this, this to me by definition seems like a, a moment of Rayla acting and taking on this um, banal heroism that we all have access to. And so I just wanted to lift lift that moment up. And connected to that is my, my next one, my fourth point, which is Callum. So this is a little bit more complicated, I think. Callum talks about how frustrated he is that he does not have the skills and abilities to make a difference. Like, he's he wants to go and help, but he doesn't believe that he has the capacity to do so. And so I'm curious about that, because does, does having skills and abilities make it easier to be heroic? And if, if not the skill and ability itself, does our competence, does our knowledge of our awareness of our abilities and skills allow us more access to our capacity for heroism. In which case, I wonder if we would be more heroic if we knew what was within our power and what was not, right? Because he like, he knows it's not in his ability to make a difference. And so, but he ends up making a difference, right? Like here is so... Heroism has this like relatedness to advantage, to skill, to privilege. Um, but conversely, when he's earlier in the episode says, "Hey, we got to retreat. We we can't do anything more right now." Is is that not also an act of heroism where his again knowledge and understanding of their capacity allow him to make what some might call a you know, a cowardly act to retreat, but I wonder if rather it can be seen as an act of heroism to say, I'm saving these three, four lives by retreating at this moment. And so in a way, I wonder if heroism is a matter of perspective. And that kind of brings me to my last point. And I'm curious about your thoughts on this. So does Callum using dark magic count as an act of heroism and i'm curious because i think there's a lot of people that might differ on on the response here but in a way it again fits this definition right there's a quest he wants to protect the dragon protect rayla he wants to make sure that they can continue taking zim to zadia he has personal sacrifice where he is doing something against his uh, morals and values. He is, you know, taking on this act. And so I- I'm curious about this. It And yet, is doing something not so good in order to do something good an ethical way to be a hero? And that's, I think that's the question. Um, the ethics of heroism, if you will. 
And I'm, I'm just curious about that. Like, where is the ethical line in terms of the deciding what is the greater good? Um, is doing this potentially bad thing in order to do a much greater positive thing worth it? Um, and there's a lot of people who disagree in, in terms of that kind of ethical quandary. So I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts. Uh, and, and again, like, does that make it so that it's easier to empathize with Claudia and Viren's use of dark magic in order to achieve um, these bigger um, ends, these the means to the, using a dark magic means to get to a, a quote positive end. And so I'm curious if intent matters. I'm curious if means matter when it comes to being and labeled as a hero, which which kind of leads me to a point of like, is heroism something that you claim? Or is it something that is bestowed upon you? Can I say, I am a hero. I am a hero. I did this. Um, or is it something that you have to be given the title of hero and people have to see you that way? Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't want to phrase that in the form of a binary. I think it can be both, but I, I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are on whether that's a claimable thing or if it's something that is given to us. Because I wonder if, for instance, Viren sees himself as doing the heroic thing. If, you know, I, I wonder if by committing this, you know, magical ritual that allows Erevos to come through the mirror as this caterpillar guy, um, I wonder if that's an act of heroism in his eyes, in a way. Because he's doing the only thing he knows what to do. He knows how to do in order to do what he can for Catullus. Ooh, man, what a what a big episode. There's so much in this, and we didn't talk about several things, but man, I am very intrigued by this concept now. I'm going to be thinking about it for a while. So, if you again, if you've been if this triggers some some things for you to think about and you're interested in sending us a voicemail to tell us about it, feel free to record a voice memo on your phone and email it to thearcofe at gmail.com or you can also tweet at us your thoughts or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, we have an open Facebook group for listeners to the podcast. Uh, and all of that can be found at BNB for bending not breaking underscore pod again that's bnb underscore pod okay we're gonna take a short musical interlude uh and then we will be right back for our lens mvp and our gratitude Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. I'm sure that that musical interlude was nice for you, and it was nice for me. I enjoyed I enjoyed that musical interlude. But uh, let's move on. Let's take on this this next segment of the Lens MVP, most 
valuable player in terms of the lens today, which again, to remind everyone, is heroism. So, with this in mind, I would love to nominate Rayla for the title of Lens MVP this episode because, I mean, for for reasons I've already described, I think that Rayla consistently throughout the series uh, takes on these these quests to do what is right and then does so at personal risk right I, and I, I think that it was an act of heroism in episode one where she passively chases down like she chases down this guard which is an active act but then she passively lets that guard go and she does it at at personal sacrifice at the like she loses and knows that if she were to tell her her comrades that if she didn't do that that she would be in great trouble if not you know physical trouble and so i I think that in and of itself can be seen as an act of heroism and i'm referencing a completely different episode for this but I, i think that that's just to kind of show that she's been making heroic deeds and doing heroic deeds the whole time and i think that this episode highlights just a, a continuation of that behavior and so i think that rayla is a pretty spectacular hero she's my nomination if you would like to nominate someone feel free to nominate someone on any of our social medias we'd love to hear about it send us a voicemail uh and we'll play it and we'd love to uh, get your feedback so remember follow us on all of those things bnb underscore pod okay this brings us to our final segment which is gratitude, in which we share a moment from the episode that a character has given us to be grateful for. And this episode, I am just so, so grateful for Claudia. And I'm specifically grateful for her in this moment at the end where she sees Ezrin and Zim and she goes all dark magic mode and ready to take this dragon, ready to take Zim, but Soren calls out for her and she listens. And when Claudia chooses Soren over Zim, I I just melt a little bit because, you know, it's just animated so well and you see the pain on Soren's face and I think it's really beautiful that she chose family here over this... Uh, task that she has to do and so I'm grateful for that okay that brings us to the end of this episode and FYI we have another very special guest next week so you won't want to miss it but until then remember you can follow us on all the social medias you can find us on Patreon at the same handle BNB underscore pod big thank you to all of our listeners all of our patrons Big thank you to the Ark of E, Alex Mayfield, Noah Blanchard, Max Gongaware. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and until next time, be well and do good. Mm-hmm.